Welcome to the Splinters Podcast from the team on the bench. Community Radio's leading no-holds-barred Friday night sports show. Available online and replayed on Triple H 100.1 FM. Now, here's your host, the Sultan, Tony Dosen. Yes, welcome to another edition of Splinters on a Tuesday night on Triple H 100.1 FM. And on the web at www.triplehfm.com.au and at podcast.com. Yes, we have got your feedback. There were some problems during the week, but the good folk at podcasts.com have fixed those problems and we are back on the air right now. And you can dive into this podcast whenever you like at podcasts.com or Spotify or iTunes or wherever you pick up your podcasts from. This is the Sultan Tony Dosen and this week... We're going to dive into something rather close to my heart and to the gentleman on my right's heart. It's refereeing yet again. And I can hear you rolling your eyes in the back of your head going, oh, no, here we go. They're on the hobby horse again, bashing referees with a bulldozer and a front-end loader and this, that and whatnot. But as we've mentioned so many times, we want to see the very best referees make it into the NRL because that's what we as fans, as commentators, demand and expect. When you've got players getting paid big dollars, you want your officials to be up to the mark. And coming across my desk in the summer is something that disturbs me greatly. It's a new review of the National Officiating Accreditation Structure, which is taking what seemed to be a reasonably workable and working structure to get the very best referees to come to the top and replacing it with goodness knows what. I think it's the same thing, flowered up and called something politically correct. Is it something else? Joining me to discuss this is another ex-referee and another one who is, some would say, a bit of a referee's basher. I think he's very much a referee's critic from the heart, having refereed the game at a reasonable level himself. He is, of course, your friendly ground announcer at every West Tigers Sydney Metropolitan NRL game. We still think, because of his background as a, a player, but definitely as a referee, he is non-commercial radio's premier rugby league analyst. He is the Lord Mayor of Leichhardt. Hello, Keith Topolsky. And uh, good evening, or a good morning, or good afternoon to everyone listening. And as we record this, good afternoon to you, Tony, and welcome to the Triple HFM Global Network and the Bench and the Splinters Global Network. I didn't know what I was doing there for a moment. Normally I get the ground announcer and the analyst introduction at the games out there and I'm looking for the for the goalposts out there. But no, we're in the studios recording this and it, it was really... I, I felt depressed when I read this new structure because it doesn't actually address any of the problems mm. that refereeing has at the moment. And it, it's... You're right. It's flowering things up, but we're not going to just write it off completely. We are going to get into a discussion about it because this is something that needs to be talked about if we're going to get high-quality referees in high-quality rugby league games. Let's go back to the background to this. Mm -hmm. As is due diligence by all major sports organisations, the NRL conducted a review of their officiating structure Forget about the controversies that we've had in the last couple of years with the bunker and everything else. This is grassroots stuff. This is how do you get someone that wants to be a referee 
of an under-8s game in a park on a Saturday morning refereeing kids and take that young referee, male or female, who wants to aspire to get to an NRL centre or an NRL touch judge at some point down the track in the future. And so the structure or what was called the NRAS, the National Referees Accreditation Scheme, Mm -hmm. which is the current accreditation structure. Which works quite well. I I came through the system, and I know you came through the system as well, Mm -hmm. and I think that structure worked very well. I didn't see any need to change it. There may be a few little tweaks, and maybe you can add a pre-level one accreditation in to get younger kids who are just refereeing mini and mod football. Maybe that's the one tweak, but they basically torn it down and started again. Basically correct. And the reason for that is because as part of the review, which was also pushed by the Australian Institute of Sport and in a de facto way, uh, the federal government, the NRL Commission, as the custodians of the game in Australia, conducted this review. And one of its key findings was that after passing the basic exam at entry level, an individual will be qualified to referee immediately at what they call the appropriate level. Now, under the old system, I won't try and bore you good people. We don't want five lemons and wheels spinning, eyes spinning at ever-increasing rotations, but there were basically five levels under the old Mm -hmm. system where basically once you got your basic uh, exam passed, you got to be a level one. And then once you refereed for a, a time at that lower level, that kids level, up to, let's say, under 12s or under four, under 12s, for instance, you then got to become what was called a level two. And that was only available to people over the age of 18. You couldn't achieve a level two qualification until you were 18. So once you had a level two, that basically opened you up to open age football. Any football in the park from under sixes to open age A grade. and Of course, one of the rules that was enforced religiously, I know, at Parramatta and I would assume in Canberra and Perth and everywhere else you were, you could not referee an age group unless it was two years below your age. So if you were a 14-year-old, you were limited to under 12s and down. A 15-year-old, 13s and down, etc, etc. Etc, etc. Then once you got to a certain level of proficiency or you got to a certain age, then that level 2 graduated up into levels three, four, and five, depending on how far you got in refereeing. If We're you... talking level three is an NRL re- or was a first-grade referee. Correct. Four into rep football, and if you've, inter- if you've been an international referee, you get your level five accreditation. And that was the top level that you had. Basically, to get to the NRL, you had to go from level two to level three through the graded system, just like the players do. So that was the basic, and I believe is still currently the the system. However, this new NOAS, the National Officiating Accreditation Structure, there's the first change of the flowering already. Mm -hmm. Going from NRAS to NOAS. They've only changed one word there. We look at this uh, accreditation system, and we've now got two levels of foundation, two levels of talent. Three, in fact. And then Two levels of elite. And then this thing called mastery. And what disturbs me about this is not that they've regraded everything. If you want to go from level one through level five to 
level 1 through level 10 and simply redefine what the levels are, that's okay. Okay, I don't see the need for it, but I at least understand where you would be coming from to create more levels. But some of these ideas that they're throwing in here to go from Foundation 1 to Foundation 2 to Talent 1 through 3 and then Elite 1, Elite 2, and then a mastery thing. It's talking about service to the game in order to up your accreditation level. That is, that, where do they get the idea that you should be considered a more highly accredited referee because you've done more volunteer work? This is where things go off the rails with the refereeing system because it should be on on-field ability. Uh, exactly, but without going into too much of the politics, without going too much of the backbiting, which has frankly dogged the refereeing ranks at the NRL level, which we've discussed at length in the past two or three years, this mastery what is virtually a gold star it's a it's a gold badge award you've been a referee for 25 years or you've mm. been serving on a on a on a committee for 25 years or you've been serving your local referees association for 25 years so here's your gold star you're now a master a master of what but that's what they have life membership for and all sorts of organisations have life membership. Correct. Political parties have life membership. Sporting clubs have life membership. Volunteer organisations like the Red Cross have life membership. I think Triple H might even have life membership as part of the setup here. Or Correct. And that, that's what life membership is for. You don't say someone is more highly accredited because they volunteered. Volunteer service is great. And we're volunteering right now. Absolutely. But it is about on-field proficiency and at the same time... This goes back to the old principle. Okay, a guy might be a bit of a... We'll call him a mug rather than the other term I might yes, use. Yes, yes. But if he gets the job done and he does the job well, you give him the game. Likewise, you could be best mates with someone, but if they're totally useless, I'm sorry, you can't give them the... You can't but give as them the, you and I know, but as you and I know, the lines get blurred. So let's mm. have a look at this new structure in brief without going into deep detail, which could bore you to tears and, again, have those... Lemons, those five uh, wheels rolling around in the back of your head. Okay, we're replacing, or the plan is to replace the level one with a foundation level where you do your four hour course, you've got to be a minimum of 13 years of age to get the basics, and then you are accredited very much along the lines you mentioned of refereeing mm -hmm. kids' football at the age of 13. And then to go to the next level, it's an online course. I'm going to stop you there because I still have a problem with the Foundation 1. And it now says, if you are under the age of 18 years, you are accredited to officiate from under 6s to under 12s only before you step up into Foundation 2, which takes on that two-year age gap. What is the point of accrediting someone who's 17 as, as a 17-year-old, you're quite right, who can only officiate under 12s, particularly when... And we've discussed this before, and I'll use the line you like to use with Mick Stone. In the old days, there were two types of yep. football. There mm -hmm. was rugby league and there was Winfield Cup. What you see in the NRL is closer to international laws than the mini-mod laws. People who are fresh to rugby league will understand the international laws better, but we're stopping them from refereeing the international laws. I don't get it. Then you've got the safe play code as the extra layer and the extra level of rules in a de facto way which is there for its own very sound and justifiable reasons under duty of care to keep young players, particularly those that may have a height or weight disadvantage compared to other players in the same age group, which is another story and another Wikipedia page, maybe even another Splitters episode for another time. 
but to keep them safe. But the safe play code... Is probably the best thing that Peter Corcoran did for Rugby League. Mm-hmm. Even better than creating the mini and mod laws, which made it easier for the players to use smaller footballs and smaller fields and build their skill set. I think the safe play code was an even better advance and I think the safe play code is a wonderful thing. It's a beautiful thing. I often got in trouble for having high penalty counts but you know what? If I have to give 17 safe play penalties in a game I'll do it. That That's a great thing. Everyone's on board with safe play. The safe play code for those <clears throat> that don't know and that aren't okay with it is that you cannot do certain things in matches. You cannot fend. You cannot Above the armpit. Above the armpit. You naturally enough cannot tackle, tackle high. Above the armpit. You certainly can't shoulder charge, and you certainly can't uh, uh, use your body in a non-tackling way if you're a defender, or even not use the football in an aggressive way as an attacker in possession of You can't push in scrums. You can't lift in the tackle. You can't grab a player by the collar. You can't swing them by the jersey. These are the things, and I think they may have even upgraded it to ban the ankle tap. I know that was a local ruling parameter that was being experimented with. I I like that for 12-year-olds down. Indeed. So that's the extra layer on top of the mini-mod laws that we're asking, and we have been asking those of all ages to referee and officiate. But coming back to your point about not allowing 18-year-olds to referee anything above under-12s, look, I can see where they're coming from because, quite frankly, if you have under-18s trying to referee under-16-year-old players who are bigger and larger than them and there are size discrepancies Mm -hmm. there, that can form a problem. But I do see your point about stunting the growth of a quality referee who may be under the age of 18 who can't referee international laws or kids above the age of 12 for however many years it is until they Mm. turn 18. I know in my time at Parramatta there were referees that came through and there were 30, 35, 40-year-olds. They they were not competent beyond mini and mod football. They just couldn't handle international football. But I remember there were 16- and 17-year-olds who came through in my time, and you just wanted to throw them straight into 14s and get them as high up the ranks as you could. Yeah. Because straight away, you knew they were quality referees, you knew what they were doing, they knew their way around the football field, and you needed to push them along. But you couldn't do that because you were being held back. The two-year rule... Okay, fair enough. But now you are deliberately holding them back even further. For six years in some instances. That doesn't make any sense. Until you get to Foundation 2, well, why not just keep it as a single module? Because if a a 15, 16, 17-year-old can competently referee under 14s, let them go without having to fill in another form. Speaking of which, what about the reliance on online courses? Yes, I get the fact that times have changed, and yes... To be more flexible in the modern day world where we're asking young kids who have to work and work more than one job to make ends meet, plus study, plus do whatever, Mm -hmm. um, the flexibility of doing online courses is an absolute must. I get that, but I just wonder how much practicality there is in forcing people to go online to try and learn stuff that you can only learn out in the middle. That's true. One of the things that does work in favour of the online course for referees is that the referees courses do not actually ask you to quote verboten the rule book. Yeah. It asks you to interpret a situation. So as an example, and this was one that I always like to use when I used to coach young referees, Team Blue kicks off, all of Team Blue is onside, the kick goes 15 metres in the and air. And then blows 20 metres backwards. And goes into touch after it bounces. What's your ruling? 
Penalty for red because the ball hasn't gone 10 metres. Penalty for red because the players were offside, which is a no-brainer because you already know. Or is it a scrum to blue because the kickoff has travelled 10 metres, bounced and found touch? The answer is C. Of course. Because the ball did travel 10 metres, it doesn't need to bounce. But that asks you to interpret the rules and show your understanding of the rules and not quote them verboten. That's where online courses, okay, fair enough. But I want to know, is the online course a timed course? Is it a timed examination? Because if it's not, and you don't know the rule, you just go and look up the rule book. And you that don't get defeats, to do that in the middle. And that defeats the whole purpose mm. of a genuine exam. My understanding is it is timed, then that's the plan. There's then also the prerequisite of two on-field assessments. So whilst... And that's another question mark I have. Whilst we're asking young referees or new referees coming into the system to do this online course, we're also asking them to do two online assessments, possibly on-field assessments, that is two actual matches out in the middle, perhaps before they do their online course. And to me, that's fraught with danger. That is entirely, entirely out of the question as far as I'm concerned. You cannot let them on the field until they have demonstrated that they not only understand the rulebook, but referees also have a duty of care to players and they have to understand basic principles of care management. And that is something that I know Parramatta was drilled right down. Similar to Sydney Shield, and we've had Dr. Gate, I don't know how many times. Uh, Dr. Gate in Sydney Shield is the equivalent of first aid signature at Parramatta. Yep. If there's no signature in the first aid officer's no box, game. There's you no don't game. get a game. And you get your 15 minutes, and if you don't have someone after that, then the home team forfeits. That is the same principle at Sydney Shield level. Which is half an hour. It's half an hour, so you get different interpretations, and that's fine. But if they haven't done the online course, they don't necessarily know the principles of duty of care or player management. Now, I'm not talking about game management like the NRL refer to referees as. I'm talking player management in terms of looking after them, what you have to do. It's not in the rule book that you have to go and check the players' boots and fingernails and Correct. headgear and shoulder pads to make sure that they don't wear a gridiron helmet or gridiron pads. Or, or fibreglass. Or fibreglass or that they're wearing athletic spikes or they're also wearing runners because you're not allowed to wear runners because they don't have moulded or screw-in studs. That's a duty of care thing. What does What are you allowing the kids to do, or the older guys even, to do without finishing that online course in the first place? I hope it's covered in the new four-hour face-to-face, but you can't guarantee that. Well, speaking of which, the next levels of what is Talent 2 is now also inclusive of a six-hour face-to-face course during the middle of uh, all of this so-called learning and in the middle of these on-field assessments to me it's just confusing things i would thought i would have thought the best way that you find the best referees is to find the best referees out in the middle okay they need to know the rules and yes they need to know all of the other peripheral stuff but the art of refereeing is the art of knowing what's happening out in the middle The art of refereeing is being able to read a game. The art of refereeing is knowing when two players want to line each other up and belt each other's heads to kingdom come and knowing when to step in and say, right, fellas, enough is enough. The art of refereeing is knowing when to blow the penalty and knowing when to put the whistle in the pocket. The art of refereeing is... And this is what I'm convinced. I remain convinced to this day this is why Damien Briscoe is not in first grade. The art of refereeing is know when to hit a ruck. 
rather than stand on the 10 metres because, oh, no, no, all the players are very well disciplined and no one's going to do anything. Sydney Shield and Ron Massey players, for the most part, have missed their shot at first grade and they're playing because they love the game. They are more prone to brain snaps than Harold Matthews and SG Ball players because, as we know, if they so much as have a hair out of place when it comes to the referees, they're considered a write-off for temperament and the clubs won't pursue them and their first-grade careers are basically run and won. So where is this art of refereeing taught here? Can That's you very, see it anywhere? Well, I can't. You could talk about it in the four-hour face-to-face course, but this is... You can't do but, that in a four-hour face-to-face but the, course. The problem is you have to you lock can down... Have a, you can have a panel of Bill Harrigan, Graham Annesley, Greg McCallum, Stephen Clark, uh, and... Paul Simpkins. Paul Simpkins, Shane Hayne, even Tony Archer. The referees who have been there and done that over the last 25 years in this country... And you can have a face-to-face session with any one of those blokes or any two of those blokes, but I'm convinced you cannot have better experience than actually going out there in the middle and experiencing it for yourself and knowing what it's like to have to actually make the call on players that are getting under your skin. Because it's, mm-hmm. it's happened to us all. It's yep. happened to you. It's happened to me. Situations that get under your skin and how to remain calm under pressure. Sometimes I was able to do it, and frankly, sometimes I was not. And that is also in the art of refereeing, which I cannot see being taught here in this. You can't teach it in an online course. If you're going to have it in the four-hour face-to-face course, then... Or the six-hour face-to-face course in Talent 2. But if you're teaching it in the six-hour face-to-face course in Talent 2, why haven't you taught it earlier? And if you are going to include it in the four-hour face-to-face course for Foundation 1, as they call it, isn't that the time you've meant to be explaining rules to newcomers and exactly. that they actually understand how to interpret that rule? Because I'll give you an excellent example and one that is still debated to this day and age. And then I'll give you a second one that we resolved. Section 10, paragraph 4 of the rule book. And I, I always remember this mm. because I have had so many arguments about it. And I quote, It is illegal to head the ball in a forward direction, unquote. So anytime there's a falcon... What, is it a penalty? Is it a knock-on? How many people know about that in the rule book? I've seen it pulled up once in an NRL game, and that was on the advice of the video referee. Most of the other times, and there was a great example, uh, Danny Badiris juggled the ball and it ended up on his head, and it just kept bouncing off his head, and eventually he caught it. But he's headed the ball forward, and it was play on. But he headed the ball forward, and that's a breach of the rules. The second one, and this is one... Mind you, a lot of mm -hmm. Falcons are accidental when, you know, players don't see the ball coming and there's not much they can do. What's the interpretation of heading the ball forward? Is it deliberately heading or is it the ball being propelled forward from the head? Similar to a knock-on. Is it an accidental heading, which still counts as heading the ball forward? Mm. And this has never been discussed and this has never been... This is something that you need to discuss in terms of interpreting the rule book. And we haven't even got to the art of refereeing yet. Mm. And this is the second example that I'll use, and we had this discussion between ourselves. A first grade referee, I'm not going to name him because he's a member of the first grade squad, and he's still there at the moment, but when Ashley Klein was refereeing in England, he had a scrum. You just named him! Well, that's what Phil Gould did to Mick Stone, so I'll do it anyway. But he used the example he was refereeing in England, and he had a scrum, and... One of the players, and he gave a differential penalty, I think it was for incorrect feed, which is very, very odd in the modern day and age. He gave the penalty for the incorrect feed, halfbacks mouthed off at him, he's marched them 10 metres. Ah, yes. Is it a differential penalty now that you've marched at 10 metres? 
Because have you advanced the mark of the original penalty, in which case it remains a differential penalty? Correct. Or is it a new penalty because it's an infringement that doesn't apply to the scrum base? And this is an important question because if this happens 20 metres out from a team's line, 16 all, a minute to go... In a grand final. In a grand final, and you march them 10 metres, is it a differential penalty? Is it not? They can't kick for goal, or they can. This is the sort of thing you have to discuss and make sure referees understand in interpreting the rules. As it turned out, the decision was eventually made after hours and hours of discussion. I was on the side that lost, but the ruling now is that it is not part of the scrum. It is a penalty for dissent in advancing the mark, and you can kick for goal. But this is the sort of thing that you will get tied up on, and even very experienced referees argue for this for hours. Argue argue this for hours. And you and I ended up on the same page, but I can remember sitting there there and arguing with other referees in the association. We were split 50-50 down the middle. And we argued this for weeks until Mick Stone came through and said, this is what we're going to interpret, and it's it's a fresh penalty you can kick for goal. Now, where can you discuss that or come up with that in four or read hours. about that? In, well, you can have four hours on that alone, let alone everything else. On, on four hours in that, on that situation alone. And we haven't got to the art of refereeing mentally keeping you cool. Now, as part of the old structure, that was all included in the handbook. How to look after yourself, how yep. to warm up, the nutrition you should be having. I'm sure there's a handbook here as part of this, but... To have it all tried to be condensed in a quick wrap-up four-hour or six-hour course face-to-face, mm. no matter who's running it, is very, very difficult to complete. Mm-hmm. All right, then. Look, we've tried not to get too technical because uh, in the end, we could have that debate. Uh, can't we, we haven't even got halfway through this procession, but there's plenty of other things to talk about in terms of the development pathways of referees as well. Indeed, and because we haven't even got to the elite structure yet where it says uh, to be an elite match official, you have to have officiated in a two-tier competi- a tier two competition as a referee and touch judge. Which is, I would imagine they would consider that to be grade. Yes. So Shield, Massey, Canterbury Cup. And that's, where you you get your, on. and that's where you get your online learning and your ongoing education, only when you get to that level. I would argue you need that much earlier down the line, even at foundation and talent levels, rather than elite level. Because we have seen what happens if players get graded and they don't have that ability and to control their behaviour, yes. and they snap in the middle, and they either make errors of judgement in terms of player descent, or they come up with brain explosion decisions that completely ruin games. We've seen more than enough of those at Sydney Shield and Ron Massey Cup level. Oh, let alone Canterbury Cup level. And then I'm intrigued, and we're going to discuss this after the break, as to where this goes. Elite 2, to be eligible to match visual of officiated in the NRL. Fair enough. Mm-hmm. But then once eligible, the match official is required to show service to the game and complete ongoing learning. Service to the game. What is that? Once you're you're an NRL referee on whatever it is... 150 or 100,000, or in some cases, as was the case when referees were marshalling their forces for a possible strike in the off-season, $300,000 a year. What service to the game do you provide on that? Which begs the question, okay, if that's your full-time job, what, in order to become more qualified at your job, you have to do work that's actually not required of your job? I'm... I'm this this could be anything. Service to the game. Okay, I'm volunteering at the canteen down at Ringrose Park or Toryburn Reserve or Story Park or, or Hills, Marina or, Street. Or, or Smith Park East Hills or 
uh, Bexley Oval anywhere. You know, is that that service to the game? What is service to the game? Hmm, interesting. All right, then. All of that we can discuss after the break, but also after the break, we're going to look at what we would do. What's Mm -hmm. the alternative to this? Of course, as we've said in the past, we're not going to sit here and bag them to the kingdom come unless we have a solution. And we do have a solution. And we do have a solution. It has been noted in the past some of our other solutions, even though they haven't been acted upon. We're going to throw another one at you right after this as we continue our refereeing in-depth discussion on this special edition of Splinters. It's time to hit the ice. You're all about caring Sydney Bears are back for the 2019 Australian Ice Hockey League season with all the speed, hits and goals that ice hockey is famous for. Buy a season ticket package to ensure you're not left out in the cold as your Bears rip and tear with the aim of going one better on last year to claim the 2019 Good All Cup. Log on to bearsden.com.au for all your season ticket and merchandise options. And for the latest Bears news and updates, tune in to The Bench every Friday from 6pm. Sydney Bears, hear us roar. Sponsors of Triple H. Welcome back to Splinters on a Tuesday night on Triple H 100.1 FM and on the web at www.triplehfm.com.au and at podcasts.com, wherever you pick up your podcasts. This is Tony Dosen, the Sultan. Keith Topolsky is alongside me. And we're talking all things rugby league refereeing accreditation this week and a special where the NRL Commission are changing across the old National Referees Accreditation Scheme, the NRAS, across to the new NOAS, the National Officiating Accreditation Scheme, to fall into line with compliance regulations set down by the Australian Sports Commission at the back end of 2017 under the Australian Sports Commission's FTAEM framework, Foundations Talent Elite Mastery. I was going to say that uh, off-air, Keith, that that certainly worked uh, from an athlete's perspective at an Olympic level, but that's another story altogether. Let's have a look then back at where we left off at the break and Talent 2, Talent 3 under this new FTEM framework, the T being the talent, and you get to uh, uh, your your basic two on-field assessments, another six-hour face-to-face course, and then accreditation to referee in open age groups no matter what your age. One thing I found interesting was that the change in age groups where in the foundation stage you were not allowed to referee as an 18-year-old anything higher than under 12s, that all of a sudden changed, where you can referee then up to under 17s as an 18-year-old. Yep. So... That even breaks the old two-year rule that was the case in a lot of referees' associations. Yeah, so a lot of the time, associations wouldn't offer the opportunity to younger referees to jump from level one to level two until they were 18. So even if a 16-year-old was showing potential, then... And they were short on a particular weekend. And it was still considered off-limits. Now, Parramatta, in the days I was there, were good because they would do the theory around the level two for 17-year-olds who show particular talent. And at that stage, I was much, much lighter than what I am now, and therefore I was still able to move a little bit around the field. So I was considered for that opportunity, and that's how I managed to get my highest touch-judging appointment, which was a standby as what is now Sydney Shield in the old Metro Cup reserve grade. But the opportunity was still there for the 17-year-olds to do the theory side of things and then do some of the practical assessments as well before actually being formally qualified at the age of 18 years. But the the age structures here just seem to be all over the place. It, it doesn't seem to have any natural flow. It just seems to jump 
one side to the other and up and down and back and forth and right and left and east and west and it, it doesn't have any natural flow to it unlike the old NRAS scheme where you do your level one at any age and if you're under the age of 18 once you've completed all the other bits and pieces then we'll let you go to level two and then we're away. Whereas under this system <clears throat> if you're a foundation referee and you're 17 you can only do up to under 12. That's right. Then all of a sudden if you manage to make it two talent on the back of your online course and your uh, uh, two on-field assessments, which I know you've got ideas on, which we'll come to in a moment, then you can go up as an 18-year-old and all of a sudden referee under 17s and you've had no experience in, and that, to me, is fraught with danger. And then you go to this elite level, which we touched on before the break, where to be eligible, you make it to the NRL, uh, you do your... uh, ongoing uh, level two accreditation and then you're judged on service to the game which gives you your mastery level does that mean that you have to be an nrl referee for 15 years before you become a master what happens five if you years? bail out of the nrl because of injury like bernie did bernie sutton is he now eligible or you for bail mastery? or you bail out because of politics like chris, chris james, james did adam devchich amongst others amongst others does that mean that you blow your chance at mastery as well because you bailed inside the five or ten or fifteen year period? But Chris James is still refereeing in Group Six, so he's giving back to the game. That's certainly service to the game. Going back and refereeing in Group Six when his career in the NRL is already over, but he's still giving back to the game. Is he eligible for mastery? Who knows? That's very much the grey area that is very much open to politics. Touch judging and league tag is a separate uh, and it's been separated in a way from this. FTEM system has it been forced upon I I believe it's been forced upon the NRL uh, by the Australian Sports Commission having a sports commission trying to have a one size fits all Mm. model for all sport in Australia is noble in theory but practically is has real problems. It, it, it does, and I'm not going to get into political philosophy here, but I think a lot of the problem stems from now having Peter Beattie as the chairman of the Australian Rugby League Commission. But this was course. forced on him by the Sports Commission, though. Yeah, but at the same time, Peter Beattie has this idea that a centralised government can still tell people what's best for them rather than actually listening to those in charge. If this came from the New South Wales Rugby League... If this came from the NRL itself, if it came from Todd Greenberg, then it would be a different situation. But when you've got a politician, and this applies to any politician, being in charge of the game and listening to the federal government, I I start to worry. Well, the federal government still hands out funding (coughs) to sports. Mm -hmm. Whether the NRL and the AFL, for that matter, multi-billion dollar sports should even get a cent of funding from the federal government through the Sports Commission is another story altogether, another splinter's piece. But at the moment, it does. And basically... Whilst it does, it's beholden to this. It's beholden to these changes pushed through by the Sports Commission. I don't think you can blame Peter Beattie as such. He's just... He's got other things that you could possibly blame him for. This, he's just implementing because it was there when he took over. It goes to a philosophy, though, of trusting somebody who doesn't actually know what they're talking about. Okay, the Australian Sports Commission, they're the Sports Commission. They know everything about sport. You can't tell me that rugby league officiating is the same as cricket officiating is the same as ice hockey officiating. Or Australian rules umpiring. Or rugby union union refereeing. Netball. Athletics officials. Swimming officials. Badminton. Tennis. These are very, very different skill sets that these referees and umpires need. Why are we listening to a body that says you can have one size fits all 
the sports that are so completely different because for example if you so much as say a word out of place to an umpire in cricket you're hauled over the coals for it but in ice hockey they can beat each other up and the referees will actually grab players and pull them away and if a linesman happens to get a straight punch then everybody thinks it's a bit of a laugh and okay you'll get a game for it but it's not it's not this great crime but in rugby league if you lay a finger on a referee you're going to get five or ten years as I well know because when I was 17 I got king hit by a player who got banned for 20 years if you if you have these different standards in sports, if you have these different skill sets in sports officiating, you can't implement a one-size-fits-all accreditation policy, and it makes no sense. All right, but that's what is being hauled upon and fobbed upon the NRL Commission by the Australian Sports Commission. Mm-hmm. So they have to make do with what they've got, and they've tried to make this model fit the old NRAS system. So that comes back to what is the alternative? Okay, you've been given this framework by the Sports Commission. You have to deal with it, whether you like it or lump it or or, or hate it, to be compliant to get your funding out of the federal government. Mm -hmm. And quite often, it's been thrown at us, myself and Keith, okay, you you come up with all this bagging and you come up with all of these, uh, you know, problems but not many solutions. Well, not exactly the case because there is some tweaking that could be done Mm -hmm. to this to make it better. Yes. Let me give you my my first uh, my first thing. At both Foundation 1 and 2 and Talent 1 and 2 level, set a hard and fast rule for 18-year-olds. Okay? Mm-hmm. All right. You can have, and that is a, a return back to perhaps the one-year or two-year rule right across the board. Yeah. Don't make it hard for 18-year-olds or 17-year-olds when they're starting off to say, okay, all right, you can only do under 12s, that's mm-hmm. it. Because you'll know very quickly who can cut it and who won't. Yes. All right? So let's say, all right, as an 18-year-old, you can, under this new NOAS referee, international mini-mod, safe play, right up to, let's say, under 16s or under 17s. Mm-hmm. Set the hard and fast rule across the board yep. and leave it at that. Secondly, the, these four- and six-hour courses are not long enough mm-hmm. to get an idea. I would have ongoing... Yes. face-to-face courses rather than just one. Okay, have one to get your ticket so you know the rules to start off mm-hmm. with, but have ongoing ones as part of your review process in the foundation stages to see whether anything that you've absorbed has got through mm-hmm. and is being put out in practice. Yes. And that's where you bring in the likes of a Harrigan or a Clark or a or a a Simpkins, guys who have been there and done that, guys that probably some of these new young kid referees would look up to. I know Bill Harrigan is persona non grata these days in the refereeing fraternity, but this would be an opportunity for him on both sides to smoke the peace pipe and have him come back and give service to the game uh, and uh, have mastery being being bestowed upon some of these individuals. Okay. Uh, so that's the second thing. And the third thing, the online course, I believe it is timed, but it has to be uh, audited from an outside body outside mm-hmm. of the NRL so that there's absolute transparency right across the board with these online courses. Because as you and I know, Keith, they can quite be easily manipulated yep. and they can be quite uh, easily be cheated upon. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. On my side of the equation, I differ slightly to what you suggested in terms of the three changes. The first change I would make would be, 
similar to yours, I'd do away with F1, F2 and just have foundation. And that in there would do away with the age limit requirement. Mm. What I would, however, require is as part of foundation, you have to start in mini football. You, you can't do mod football first. You have to go... You can't do international first. You have to do mini football first. This is where, and this is the great irony of it, an on-field coach comes in. For now, the players at the moment, and that's been the case ever since Minimod came in to play, you have an on-field coach behind the players. Yes. Telling the players where to go. But you have it for the referee this time. And this is where the NRL at the moment has it completely around the wrong way. When you get to these higher levels, these Sydney Shield, Ron Massey Cup, Canterbury Cup, especially the NRL, you have an on-field coach who is sitting in a box and tipping to the referee all game. That is a disaster because these guys are highly professional. And they're trying to concentrate on the game in front of the seats. It's basically a Formula One vehicle and you're trying to do repairs to it while it's actually on the track running at 300 miles an hour. Can't do it. You you get it. They've got it the wrong way around. You let those high-performance vehicles go and do their thing. You come back to the most basic level, and this is what was developed at Parramatta when I was there, was the on-field coach. You have it for mini-footy only because mod football, it gets a little bit ungainly on those slightly reduced-sized fields from the international laws. On mini-footy, the fields run from the 40-metre line to the 10-metre line on an international field, touchline to touchline, yep. and they run across field. If you've, right. been, if you've been to a first-grade game and seen and the half-time mini entertainment, you'll know what we're talking about. Yep. You have the on-field coach there to help those referees through. This is where you're supposed to be standing, because just like a, just like a team, you can't actually simulate a match environment properly until you actually get into a game. And that's where you need your on-field coach to actually tell your referees, okay, you can stand here, you can stand here, you've got to get this further back, this isn't five metres, you should be pulling this sort of thing up, you have to pay attention to where they're standing, blah, 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 blah. We'll go on for hours if I keep going with all those little bits and pieces. This is where you use your on-field coaches because once you've refereed C grade, A grade, under-19s, junior reps, to go back and referee under-6s, you don't you don't raise a sweat and you don't even think about it. It's just you just go you just go into autopilot. Yep. You and I have both done mm-hmm. that. But if you're out there and, and you're is, new, and, and but if you're out there and you're new and you have someone over your shoulder just watching over you, just like the players do. Mm-hmm. If it's good enough for the players to have an on-field coach in mini and mod football, particularly in the first couple of years in sixes and sevens, well, why isn't it good enough to have an on-field coach? For a new referee refereeing under sixes and under sevens, telling them where to stand. This is where you can expand your face-to-face learning module to 10 hours face-to-face. So or you 12, include an extra whatever six. Whatever the case may oh, be. I'd include it as six because that's 12 mini-games. Mini-games run for three tens, yep. which is a half hour. Yep. So once you've done 12 mini-games, and it's not unusual for referees to do two, three, maybe even four mini-games in a day because mini-footy's not going to take it. To take it out of you too much. It's two hours, and you've done, and you've done in the in the space of possibly five to six weeks at the start of the season or in the middle of a season, you've done your you've mm-hmm. done your requirement. Yeah, practical requirement. Yes, we ask our apprentices in other fields to learn their trade on the job. Mm-hmm. So, with the help of bosses and with the help of their uh, employers and with the help of their immediate supervisors watching over them. 
But we don't do that with referees yes. in most sports, mm-hmm. and that's incongruous. That's right. The second change I would make to the system is in terms of these exams and tests that are run to make sure that the referees are capable. You have to have them timed and you have to have them in high-intensity environments. And what I mean by that is you don't just sit them in a classroom and say, you've got 30 minutes, go. You sit them down and you talk to them, but you have music playing in the background. You have people screaming in the background, yelling in the background. You have crowds You have in a the TV background. in the background. You have all these distractions in front of them so they can focus. You have to make sure that you simulate an environment as much as you can so that you can adapt to it and block everything else out. And this is what first grade teams do. When they know they're going to a tin of a ground where all this noise reverberates around them and New South Wales do this when they go to Lang Park for Origin yep. they will have the ground staff hop on the PA and just play the noise that they will be hearing because it is deafening yep. players will learn to communicate and shut it out and that's what referees have to do as well and the third the third thing I would do in saying do, that though before you get to that third mm-hmm. point that's all very well and good for referees at the Elite 1 and Elite 2 level mm-hmm. especially those that have just come in to that level from Canterbury Cup, from mm-hmm. Ron Massey Cup, from Sydney Shield, from Junior Reps, because the crowds at Junior Reps and those lower grades nowhere near as large mm-hmm. as they are in the NRL. And so that idea of having those ongoing distractions online or when you're those, those ongoing your distractions exams. when you're doing an exam or you're doing a refresher learning or when you're doing your course to upgrade your level from mm-hmm. foundation to talent or from talent to elite is important, but what about is it really practical to have that for young 12, 14 year old kids starting off? Or do you want to have just piped screaming of parents calling out, get them on side, or uh, have a go, you mug, over yeah, and over the, the again? Inten- the intensity of it will differ. So if you've got your 12 and 13 year olds, it will be light stuff. It will be noise in the background and cars and motorbikes going on a road and that sort of thing and whistles and birds and kids cheering. Obviously, when you get to your talent to elite steps, then you're going to have people getting vicious and booze and things make it really nasty, not because you want to intimidate them, but because you want to teach them to block it out. And that should be applying all the way through so that they can develop mental concentration. Your third thing, when you do start going from foundation into your talent levels, you have to figure out exactly what you want from your referees. And this this goes to the question of grading them. Sometimes you'll get graded as a referee. But this is something that the game has had trouble with for the last 30, 40 years, frankly. Yeah, and this is where you you just have to step up and say, right, we've had problems with this for 40 years. We have to nut this out, and we have to nut this out now because you can be graded as a referee or you can be graded as a touch judge. You have to figure out what you want to be graded as, but that has to come earlier. You can't just go into the junior rep squad as anything. You have to figure out in your district what you're best at. And if you see referees who are not capable of refereeing at C and A grade level, but they're great touch judges, then use them as touch judges exclusively at that higher level so that they get used to it. And then by the time they get into reps and then into grade, they're already used to that rather than going back and forth. So So they can have a specialty. So you're saying that the tap on the shoulder, the inevitable tap on the shoulder, which does come however far up the line you go, the, the main tap on the shoulder should come at the district level, not at, yes. grade, not at grade or NRL level, which has been the norm for the last, mm-hmm. well, oh, what, 100 and something years? So you know exactly what your skill set is, because these days, the touch judge's idea of marking the tennis is still moronic. 
but you need to these are very different skill sets to what they were in the old days yes it's very much a more specialized skill now touch judging and you're seeing the problem with sticking referees on the touch line they're the ones most of the time who are coming up with these errors the only time I can think of a graded touch judge coming up with the error was that brain fade from Ricky McFarlane last year in the Canberra Cronulla game otherwise it's referees making these touch line errors not these specialty touch judges they know exactly what they're doing Mm. because they've been there, they've done it, that's all they know. And they've all been coached that way to say, this is what you now have to do as a touch judge. Yes. You might not like it, but this is what we are prescribing for you. Mm -hmm. This is what you have to do. So you don't go into the junior rep squad as an official. You go in as a referee or you go in as a touch judge. And that is your lot in life. And if you don't want to be a touch judge in the rep squad, go back to your district. Speaking of which, under this new accreditation, there is a touch judge module. Yes, and that's about time that they came up with that. That is something that I will give great credit for them. There is touch judge coaching in the old NRAS, but it's a refereeing accreditation scheme on the whole. Mm. There's no specific touch judge qualification. Now that you have a touch judge qualification, and there's a few NRL grade or NRL squad members who could probably do with a touch judge accreditation themselves. <laughs> oh, and I'm not just referring to the one that I had complaints about at North Sydney Oval a few weeks enough, ago. Enough. There are plenty of central referees out there who are still doing lines, and when you see them run lines, they clearly have no idea what they're doing because they're coached as referees. Touch judging is not just something you pick up on the side because of all the different things that they do now. Or it's something a, that you get the tap on the shoulder yeah, from because you're not good It's a highly specialised skill now, as opposed to the old days where you probably could slip between them because it was more to stay here, watch for the forward pass, watch for the knock-on and watch back play. It's more complicated than that now. It's a very basic module, though, to be a touch judge at the basic mm-hmm. level when you've got a minimum age of 13 years and then you can be accredited to touch, to touch judge up to uh, under-18s if you're uh, under 16 years of age and then open age if you're over 16 mm-hmm. years of age. And that's only at the, at the district level, at the basic level, What you're saying perhaps is another suggestion to expand on the elite and mastery modules for specialised touch judges at that level, once someone gets through the Mm. back end of the talent uh, tier of the system. Yes, because in my first couple of years in refereeing, we weren't taught how to be touch judges. And we were told, okay, and I raised this when I was 16. I said, I want to learn how to touch judge properly. Oh, you're just going to have to learn it at schoolboys games. Just go and run the line on schoolboys games. What do I do when I'm running a line? And all of a sudden, we get four weeks out from the finals and you pull all these referees aside. I was amongst them the first year, back when we had that many referees that you didn't have to do multiple games on the weekend come finals time. You Mm -hmm. get one centre and that was it. Correct. Or one line and that was it. Yeah. This is how you're a touch judge. This is four weeks before finals football. Okay, I get it. It's under nines, under tens, and it's not going to be the be-all and end-all. And that was the first year that under nines was mod in the Parramatta District as opposed to mini football. But the principle remains. You've had a whole year to teach these guys how to be touch judges, and they're picking it up four weeks before. It's very easy to make a stuff up if you've only had four weeks training because, remember, we're talking districts, so they're going to train one night a week. At best. You've had four nights training on how to be a touch judge. For one hour, you've had four hours max. And that's not usually the case. If you have a one-hour session, it's usually half an hour of fitness. 
So you've had two hours on how to be a touch judge and you're being thrown into, what, an elimination game on the weekend where you think parents are bad during the regular season? Oh, what gee. happens? What happens when there's actually they something kill on the you. line? They want to kill you, basically, if their son or their daughter's team loses because mm-hmm. there's always someone to blame and the nearest and easiest scapegoats to find are match day officials. Yes, and that's where the problem lies because these officials aren't being taught properly. And it's something that is present all the way along the system, as I said, all the way up to grade until you go into grade as a referee or a touch judge. And if you go in as a touch judge, great. You're never going to have a problem in your life. If you go in as a referee and you're stuck on a line, and this goes for a lot of referees I've seen on the line, you really do struggle sometimes. Indeed. All right. But, okay, that's an expansion, a separate touch judge model to the one that's already in this NOAS set up. At the, you'd inject it at the talent one level or the talent two level, perhaps, when you want to find specialist touch judges? Talent one. Talent one, and then it goes up to talent two because it says that talent two means you have to, you get recognition for prior learning if you complete the NRL High Performance Academy. Well, who goes there? Well, who goes there? Who goes there? Is it it another uh, jobs for the boys and girls and jobs for the mates sort of uh, academy where... Certain individuals, if they look the right way or they do things the right way or if they're hand-picked because of who they are, they get pushed mm-hmm. into the academy ahead of others that show ability? That's a very good question, and we don't know how this happens because it, it's so mired in in opacity, I think is the word I'm mm. looking for. It's very opaque, this system, and you don't know who's going to that high-performance academy and what they're doing and what they're being taught. And at the end of the day... The way the referees have been run previously, if the NRL High Performance Academy is run by Bernard Sutton, I'm not oh, sure please. I trust the High Performance Academy. Well, we don't know who's going to run the High Performance Academy and that's going the forward under, under the, the new system of Graham Annesley, who I think is just quite busy trying to get the factions and the current squad sorted out. All right, then. So watch this space there. We haven't even got to, you know, who's administering these uh, course bookings, who's administering this system. Uh, that is almost a debate for another mm. day. We will watch what happens with the implementation, Keith and myself, of this NOAS, the National Officiating Accreditation Structure, very closely as it is bedded, as it is bedded down over the next 12 to 18 months by the NRL Commission. But before we go... We got a question after We've got something special, special after last yeah. week, the we six-month birthday We got a late question come in. It was from a new listener. Pete M. Yes, and he came in after, after we'd already aired the podcast. Fair enough. And it was a late question, and it was directed to refereeing ideas. And Yeah, okay, we'll ask it anyway, but it's, it's a bit out there. It's out and, there, all right. And he asked... PM had a few drinks, I reckon, before we put this question together. Why do we even have the bunker? Why don't you just establish an app where the fans can decide themselves whether it's a try or not? What? An app? Whether it's a try or not. I've I've seen the question. He actually said, okay, seeing that you guys hate referees so much, why don't we just ban them and have the fans appoint tries on an app? Now, I know that in Australian rules football, rival captains awarded free kicks in the early days of the Australian game uh, Mm. in Victoria, but this is just taking the captain's challenge and rival captains awarding uh, penalties to a silly, stupid, and frankly, dumb level. Okay, let's have 
the crowd decide tries and penalties and everything else on an app, well, then you may as well just go down the path of eSport, don't you? You may as well just go mm-hmm. down the path of people just sitting in uh, at home, uh, chowing down on another pizza from goodness knows where, and because they don't like someone, okay, we'll just find a reason to give a penalty against them. I understand where this question is coming from. And I mean, from, okay, on an app. Okay, let's just... Yeah. Okay, what about at grounds where there are crowds of three-fifths of you-know-what? Okay, Friday nights in the city metropolitan area, the 6pm game, you get three at men... At Or any, no, any ground, because they're all hard to get to. Mm. Three men and two dogs. You know, the Canterbury game recently at the Olympic Stadium... Oh, they got an extra dog, night. I think that well, it was a Bulldogs game. Ah. So they got an extra dog in there. So what? You're going to have, what, 2,000 people on an app just whirling away, not looking at the game. Pete, M, whoever you are, have another drink and go back to sleep. I get the frustration because some of the interpretations that they use these days are very difficult, and it's because they have black and white interpretations and KPIs that you take the independent decision-making process away from referees, which they really shouldn't be. But, Pete, fair income, mate. They, they come up with something better next time, please. Uh, well, I, I, I see it's outside the square, but it's outside the circle, it's outside the oblong. Just have another drink. Yeah. You just, just does my head in. I mean, can you imagine a grand final with 80,000 people on an app? I can't. All right, look, it's been good to have a look at this. Um, we've offered some solutions. Um, the Australian Sports Commission, I think, of you know, put this around the NRL commission like an albatross around their neck, but it's something they have to deal with if they want funding mm-hmm. from the Sports Commission in future. And uh, we will watch it with great interest, Keith Topolsky. My thanks to you, and uh, we'll catch up with you shortly and Pleasure. soon. Pleasure as always. All right, then that takes us out from another edition of Splinters. We'll be back again next Tuesday night at 8 o'clock on Triple H 100.1 FM and at www.triplehfm.com.au and also on podcasts.com now that we're back on the air there as well as Spotify and iTunes, wherever else you pick up your podcasts. Until we meet again, for Keith Topolsky, I'm Tony Dosen, the Sultan. Be good or be good at it. It's goodbye. Goodbye.